Welcome everyone to this latest episode of the Pennywise Show, where money and leadership come together in enriching our lives. I'm your host Praveen Nair, and in this series, we will explore all things finance through conversations with thought leaders. I'm super excited for this, so let's get started. Would you rather cry rich or laugh poor? Welcome everyone to this episode of the Pennywise Show. Today, we're going to spill the beans on the classic money-happiness conundrum and I'm really pleased to have with me here today Norman Chella to help shed some light on this symbiotic yet tumultuous relationship. Now, Norman is a freelance writer, a voice actor, and he's also a podcaster. He writes frequently through his blog, normanchella.com, where he expresses his views about our relationship with money and his role in society. So welcome to The Pennywise Show, Norman. Thank you for having me. How has 2019 been so far for you? Oh, well, it's April right now, right? So we have the past three months, four months. Uh, it's actually doing okay. Personally, things have been on the rise. And in terms of my career, I think uh, it's going in a very positive light. So I hope uh, we will be going that way. Let's hope so as well, Norman. So what has inspired you to create that brand of yourself? The teller of tales, the polymath in progress because I find that to be so interesting you know the first thing when I when I went to your website you know the first thing yeah. if you go to normanchella.com listeners is that you'll see this line the teller of tales the polymath in progress so it's really embarrassing to hear it actually uh, and record it as well so I made up that title from uh, writing online on a social media site called Quora and okay. I grew a following writing on different topics ranging from life in Japan to uh, philanthropy to writing fictional short stories. So you, it's kind of hard for uh, someone who is interested in multiple things at the same time to focus on a niche. And when you have, say, someone who is specifically focused on the financial, uh, uh, on the different topics of, say, personal finance, etc., and then all of a sudden he jumps to, like, you know, life in a different country, it gets a bit jarring. So I decided to call myself the polymath in progress because one, my mindset, I believe, is to be very polymathic in general and in progress, meaning I'm still building myself. So polymathic in the sense where building your knowledge around so many different types of things in life. Like yes, yes. And, okay. that's, uh, I, and I, I have been living my life that way, uh, mm-hmm. just from growing up in different places. The teller of tales uh, comes from the fact that every time that an inspiration comes up to my head when I'm trying to answer a question on Quora and it's delivered in a fictional short story way, like a fairy tale, that kind of thing. People started liking that, so I got a lot of followers. I was like, oh, very happy. I decided to call myself the Teller of Tales, the Polymath in Progress. That title, I brought that over to my website. Mm-hmm. So that's the very first thing you see. Uh, my assumption is, you know, you see the title and you're like, oh, who, what, what does he mean? And you'd get even more interested in who I am. Intrigued to know the voice behind the man himself. Exactly. <laughs> now, you write on a variety of topics, Norman. Um, yeah. And there's one about, that I think to me, which I found very interesting is about why being poor is a good lesson for all of us. Ah. And that got me thinking that life is indeed a complex web of experiences, yes. be it bad or good. And there's no one linear way to fulfill it. So what got you to start thinking about the relationship between money and happiness in general? Well, this goes back a little while. <laughs> so in 2016, in December, 
I was accepted into a program to um, to build a startup in nine days uh, between Australia and Japan. It was a joint uh, venture between the two countries to bring Australian entrepreneurs into Japan, and you combine these with people who've lived there or who have different business skills or you know coding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I was the one representing those who want to translate their work into Japan. So I was in Sydney for nine to ten days every single day that we've been working on this startup that we were trying to build. It was amazing. It was such an amazing experience that I kept walking back home with a smile on my face. And mm-hmm. I couldn't take that smile off my face. It actually looked weird. People were passing by me and they're like, what's he smiling about? What's up with this <laughs> yeah, guy? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. On the way back, one of the nights, I passed by a homeless person. This homeless person had a dog, a pug, and he asked for money, as most homeless people tend to do. And I was already very happy, so I was in a good mood to give him money. I gave him $5, and he said thank you. And I waved at him, and I was on my way back to the hotel. I crossed the road, and when I finished crossing the road, I stepped on a crumpled piece of a $10 note, right? It's a $10 note, working condition, there's no rips, Mm -hmm. right? But it's just crumpled. The first thought that came to my mind when I picked it up was, oh, I can use this for coffee tomorrow morning, right? (laughs) Yeah. The second one was, do I need it? So that question, that second thought, I have never thought that ever in my life. And the reason why in that specific moment was I was so happy building something that could help another nation or it could help a market. We were trying to... Yeah, what was it about? Uh, the startup that we were trying to build was it was very complicated. Essentially, uh, we were trying to find a way for uh, the silver market, so people who have retired to sell 49% of their property uh, into liquidated form, into cash assets, Mm -hmm. to live off the rest uh, of their lives until death. But because they still have 51% majority, they can still live there as if everything's fine. So you can turn the 49% into a semi-liquid property market. People who want to buy into the Japanese property market can can do that. So it's like a kind of thing. But it was for a good cause. I was so happy building things for that cause that for the first time in my life, I looked at this $10 note and I'm like, I don't really need it. And I looked across the road and the homeless person is still there. So for the very first time, I thought about the value of a $10 note to me compared with the value of a $10 note to that homeless person. I walked back across the road and I gave him and I, I told him like, hey, I don't need this. I found this on the floor. I don't need this. I'm just gonna give it to you. In return... We talked for like 10 minutes. He was a war veteran and he had a pug. He got uh, driven out of his home. We talked and you know he asked me about where I'm from, what I'm doing here, blah, blah, blah. And I told him, I don't know why, when I was going away, I said, I, I will find a way to save you from your situation. I don't know why. It came to my mind. I don't know why. So that's, that set the seed, right? There's a seed in my head for one, philanthropy, mm-hmm. two, money, and Three, trying to build a business that is sustainable. And it's been going ever since then. Like I wanted to find a way to convey that into many different methods. Hence, I became a writer. Hence, I became a voice actor. Hence, I started to make videos, etc. I just experimented with different ways of communicating. And yeah, that's uh, how I started questioning money. And at the very root of money, I guess, to a lot of people is... The, the search for happiness. Yes, that's correct. right. 
why do you think do people struggle so much or why do people chase for happiness my biggest belief or answer to that is we were taught mm-hmm. to objectify our happiness and what i mean by that is we were taught that happiness can be found in some place else or something else so attaching it to some yes a material, a, a material thing or a body or right. outside of ourselves as in we can't find happiness within ourselves therefore we need to find it somewhere else and i think that's really tragic in that mm-hmm. way so that pursuit of happiness in that way is sort of like a reflection of our character like i need to find happiness somewhere i need to i need to find happiness in being this person's partner i need to find happiness in buying the latest gucci bag something like that and in the environment where everything is dependent on transactions everything is dependent on money if you didn't really critically think about this mm-hmm. people can come to the very simple conclusion that the richer you are the happier you can get because with more money you can get more opportunities to get happiness and that's that's so when i came to that conclusion it blew my mind it, it it's true to an extent yeah right I like mean, to an extent right correct, and we correct. can argue about it but yeah, true. Yeah, it's true to an extent and i still believe it until now so yeah i mean that I, kind of feels that happiness is then being bought right because yes it's yes. all about you know here here i am with my material possession yeah and my happiness is is defined by how rich i've become yeah so in your opinion then what hmm. do you think could be the other factors that could influence the way we perceive ourselves as being rich sure some of the factors that can affect our i call it the rich image yeah. so some of the factors that can affect our rich image are the different channels that we have uh to allow people to influence our thinking and one way to that to look at that is to look at the lifestyles mm-hmm. of the supposed rich and famous to be bombarded with this all the time eventually it'll become this habit where you are constantly being compared to the lifestyle of somebody else as in the way that you live now is different from the way that somebody else lives mm-hmm. therefore is that right or is that wrong and i think that some most of the times they are saying that well you are wrong or you are poorer therefore if you want to achieve this level of happiness or therefore you want to achieve this level of luxury because luxury is also another factor yeah then you should try and get rich so you have this image of rich is best or it's like an absolute and we don't really have an absolute definition of rich true true but yeah cuz some people they like to define rich by the number of things that they have some people like to define rich by their salary some people like to define rich by you know how famous or popular they are and it's so messy and chaotic who has the right answers and because well by the time that we get the right answers maybe it might be too late we just want simpler answers right we'll just head for a short break and after this uh, norman we'll be talking yeah. we i think we'll dive deeper into this money relationship with happiness yeah and to see how in different parts of the world how individuals are approaching it and how we ourselves could redefine the way we relate to money yeah stay tuned everyone we'll be back after this break ever wondered what leadership is all about is it developed over time or are people just born with it we believe there is a science behind leadership and we want to help you understand it 
Take this journey with us as we hear from renowned leaders from all over the world over our range of shows tackling key spaces in different industries today. Leadernomics, the science of building leaders. Welcome back everyone to the Pennywise show with Praveen Naya and here with me today is Norman Chella and we're speaking about the money happiness relationship. So just before the break, we were speaking about how happiness is somewhat attached to material possession and how it could actually be somewhat destructive for us. Yeah. So I would like to cite this visual capitalist report that shows how the strong causal relationship between money and happiness, especially through the early beginning stages, begins to taper off at a certain point. Okay. Now, when we look at this at uh, various countries, for example, this relationship does not translate itself. For example, Qatar, one of the richest countries out there, yeah. their citizens are not actually having, uh, we would say, the happiest life out there compared to Thailand or Costa Rica, according to this study, of course. And that got me thinking, how do different cultures view money as part of happiness? So if we're talking about different cultures, we do have to dive in into specific examples. So I would probably take my experiences living in different countries. So the first one I can think of is Japan. Mm -hmm. Japan has a few values that are related to shall we say, minimalistic uh, ways of life or the way that they perceive items or material items rather than possessing them, but more like appreciating their beauty or appreciating the cleanliness of the soul. These are views that the Japanese have when it comes to obtaining, say, material items. So in the case of the relationship between money and happiness there, buying things has less of a priority for the Japanese. So that's uh, something to think about. On the other hand, you have Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Now, Malaysia is a very interesting case because... Why so? Because Malaysia, in Malaysia, status and hierarchies do play a large part in our culture. And it's mainly due to our notion of power. So let's take into account the fact that we have a lot of titles, a lot of fashion brands that come in and they create this image of you know the rich being able to afford these, they start to implement this specific definition of luxury. And in Malaysia, status and luxury, they go hand in hand, and this results in a large consumer culture. The more luxuries that you have, the greater your perceived notion of power is. And I think this ties in a lot to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. So just to reiterate, the first two levels are physiological and security. So that's like the, you know... The most basic one. The most basic, yeah. Warmth, food, water, shelter. And security is safety, etc. And then we go to level three to five. Level three is relationships and love. So these are interactions with friends, family, friendships, etc. Level four is esteem. So esteem is when status does come into play. You have things like prestige, things like achievement. By having such a great notion of power... In Malaysia, all these luxury brands or all these luxury things that you can afford with given enough money fills the need for your esteem. That's something that is really highlighted in Malaysia. If you go further out west, however, you have the self-actualization needs, which is the need at the very top of the pyramid for Maslow Mm -hmm. in areas or in countries like Australia or the UK. 
these are needs that, once met, allow you to fully express or identify or explore yourself even more. So an example would be creative activities or alternatives to current services that you want because you believe in a specific mission. So for example, organic alternatives to milk, you know, or farm or produce that you want to support local things. It's basically an expression of yourself. When you have these met, you become more happier. Overall, money and happiness go hand in hand when all your needs are met. But when you have like a little imbalance, you know, you, you have, you're meeting more of your needs and self-esteem than you do for a self-actualization, that's when it tapers off. And I think that's when we have to start thinking about how do we educate people? What is happiness in terms of trying to achieve it through money? So how do we educate people then, Norman, on you know, filling their needs with money, is what you've just mentioned just now? So note that in most countries, uh, I mean, in Malaysia it should be okay, level one and level two are more or less stable. You will get food and water and warmth and basically you have a lot of safety nets in case something goes wrong. So you do have to worry about level three to level four, level five. As you get older or once you start graduating and once you start earning an income for yourself, you have to start learning about how to manage your money and have your needs met at the same time at all three levels. And I believe that all five, once these are all in tandem, should be good. I think one way to educate people on that is to not only have, I wouldn't say compulsory, but have a certain minimum level of financial literacy in learning how to manage your your savings or investments to the point where at least you can afford a certain or at least meet your needs at all levels. And I think that's very important. For each of them specifically, it'll be very complicated to get into it. Uh, but yeah, no, it really depends. So what about redefining the way that we value ourselves? Because most of the times, you you know, just read up online, a person's worth is always equated to the money that he has. Yeah, right? like a net worth, right? Like a net worth. Yeah, yeah. Any thoughts on redefining that? So I am against the notion that you can only define an individual's worth by, you know, how thick his wallet is. Like, that's kind of absurd because we, well, we're not banks, we're people. And it's more about what you do with the capital that you have at hand or what you do with the money that you have at hand and what you do despite having it. So one way to think about it is if you have two people, one person is just doing his normal job, he's saving a little bit, etc., such, etc., and he is growing his bank account, not doing anything with it. And the other person is doing the same job, but what he's doing with his capital is to invest in himself more, to invest in more skills, to meet more demands, to grow his proximity, his network, meet more people. You can't define someone's worth by just their money when they're capable of doing much more than that beyond, you know, how many digits on their bank account. Right, beyond this, your salary. Beyond, exactly. Beyond your like salary. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can't, put, you can't just put a number to a person. I mean, that's what I believe at least. Yeah. And, and what have you done personally to tell yourself that I'm going to value myself based on the skills that I've gained? One way to look at that is probably have to redefine uh, the way that I look at output and 
and take away the notion that you are defined by the salary that is given to you by a higher power. I don't want to be tied down to uh, just a number per month and just have to wait for it to come. So the way that I change my values is by dollars per time or mm -hmm. dollars per hour or ringgit per hour. And then the other one is the ratio of clients to the amount of income earned. My values then come from the amount of output in the least amount of time. And I think that is much more effective and it is much more aligned with my character. So to quickly summarize what you've just said here, Norman, yeah. as part of that introspection process in reevaluating how we should value ourselves, two things. First and foremost, we should ask ourselves the question of what are we willing to struggle for? Yes. Correct? And then we spoke about the experimentation part. And I really like that part because I think a lot of times we sort of, we sort of have an idea about what we want to struggle for, but we do not put that extra mile into trying it out. Yeah. Because, you know, it could be down to a few reasons, like fear of failure or simply because we daydream about it yeah. rather than or putting it into action. fear losing money. That's fear it. losing money. That's exactly. a whole other That's a, thing, right? Yeah. With that being said, Norman, you know, you've looked into the various aspects of life. What do you have in mind for the future? So career-wise, I am starting a group of podcast shows, not only to talk about things like this, like these thoughts that I've been having, but to also foster or create an environment where people are actually actively discussing these parts because these are very important, you know, self-introspection. And I think... Uh, because of my very polymathic tendencies. It's probably going to be very polymathic themed. So the name pending is called Polymath in Progress, which is great because it's on my website. So I will be exploring it there. And what kind of ideas here are you planning to explore other than just polymath based, but more in depth? So more in depth would be different philosophies and what wisdoms you can take from them. Mm -hmm. It will be looking at our relationship with money and investing. It could be that. And these are wisdoms that we can take, no matter what field they are, as long as we can apply them to our day-to-day -day lives. It's okay. It counts. And what part about investing do you... And what part about investing that you want to really get in-depth about? At the moment, I'm thinking something along the lines of passive income, blue-chip, dividend investing. The reason for that is that as polymaths, you want to be given the flexibility to pursue things in your own time. You want to be exploring, etc. But one of the biggest fears of money, I believe at least, is that it's not that we want to be rich because we want to get a lot of money. We want to be rich because we want money to not be a problem anymore. That is my firm belief. The fear of not having enough money, exactly. overcoming that, right? Exactly. And you want to do that in the, most, in, in the way that does not stress you out, in a way that it can just automate as a system in the background. So one of the things I can think of is, well, investing in blue chip companies, et cetera, things like that. And maybe not specifically looking at the technical part of it, because that's a whole other thing, but more like why this is a good way for you to get rid of your money problems or minimalize it. What are the different ways? How do different people look at it? And maybe interview investors, see how they think, and just pull bits and pieces of there. Learn a little bit. And I want to broaden my listeners' knowledge in that way. So, Just to touch on a little bit about what you said about the money problems, right? Yeah. Uh, 
what are some of the common money problems that you see people have? Other than the usual fear of not having enough money, what do you think are some of the crucial money problems that one is having today? If we're going very practical, it'll have to be like debt, loans. So in terms of education, car loans, everything, all these paid back. As we grow older, the number of responsibilities increase. For some people, they react differently. Some people, they prefer to save a lot so that they can prepare for that incoming eventual growth of responsibilities. Okay. For others, they may not think of it and they will try to deal with it later on. People have different levels of fear when it comes to money. And I think that's mainly because of one's level of financial literacy or one's level of time orientation. How far do they look into the future and how much does money play a part in that future? So how can we overcome that fear then? I mean, one of the things you mentioned is financial literacy, which I suppose is so that you would make a decision with more confidence. Yes. But other than just financial literacy, how can one overcome that fear? Some of the fears that come up, they're quite future-orientated, as in they haven't happened yet. But because I'm thinking about them now, it's something that has been eating in my mind. One way to look at it or one way to at least tone it down at least, is to have systems happening in the background. Automated, uh, let's say, standing instructions or standing orders monthly. Like? To... um, Or to debits. Yeah, to debits, to investment accounts, etc. Basically build your safety net so that it will give you the confidence to actually try something a little bit more riskier. That is one thing. Like, that's one thing I can suggest, yeah. I don't think you can really defeat the overall huge monstrous fear of money mm-hmm. because it's always always relevant in society no matter what thing you pursue and yeah we can only do our best to prepare against it in sure. case something happens like you an should. accident or something or insurance i don't know so norman in the spirit of the pennywise show i'd like to ask you to just share with our listeners a nugget of wisdom that you had gained throughout the entire experience being a either polymath or a teller of tales. Yeah. One nugget of wisdom. Oh, there's so many. But uh, one nugget of wisdom, at least specifically when it comes to the relationship between money and happiness, our outlook on luxury is a reflection of our character. What I mean by that is when I look at these fashion brands, how big of a part do they play in my life? Do I need these luxuries in my life to be happy? Can't I be happy now when I don't have them? And when you look at other people, you look at how luxury reacts to, you know, how they react to luxury brands, how they react to titles, how they react to notions of power or status or hierarchy. It is a reflection of their character. It is a reflection of the desires that they have inside. It's not, there's nothing good or bad about it. I think it's a very good thought to think about. Maybe it's like the first step to self-introspection. Yep. You know, all these brands around you, how big of a part do they play in your life? So asking ourselves. Yes. That, that, that one very important question. Yeah. What do I think of luxury? Okay. All right. All right. So thank you so much, Noam. I mean, I just want to appreciate you for you know, <laughs> spending your time with us to share on a very dense topic. Yeah. But I guess what we've covered... In, in this episode has been about the concept of money and happiness, the relationship between it, and how in different parts of the world, uh, how do people approach it? 
Then after that, we spoke about the individual's perspective towards their own value. And it's very interesting. One of the key points that I got from here is that it's really important to introspect yes. and constantly ask ourselves that question of what really am I wanting to struggle for? And am I willing to experiment in order to bring myself to a new level of, of how I want to value myself? So thank you so much again for giving our listeners uh, a lot of wisdom to think about. Uh, no and worries. I want to wish you all the very best in your current undertakings and keep <laughs> inspiring people in whatever they do. Thank you very much. So that's a wrap from us, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Pennywise Show. Do tune in to our next episode for more bite-sized perspectives on all things related to money. You've been listening to Leadernomics FM, the science of building leaders.